Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of our Coffee with Innovate Finance podcast. I'm Janine Hurt, CEO of Innovate Finance, and I'm so excited to have with me today a very special guest, uh, Dan Morgan, Policy Lead of Europe at Plaid, a world-leading open banking platform. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Janine. Great to be here. Now, Dan, I have to say, this is a special podcast for me um, because you and I have worked together for so many years at Innovate Finance. You're part of the initial leadership team there, was the policy director, and you have played such an important role in terms of shaping the entire policy um, within the UK as supporting fintechs and supporting innovation. So thank you so much for joining us again. It's great to see you. Right. Well, that was a, that was a great intro. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, de- I'll definitely take that. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> Good. So, so let's kick off. I, I know today we want to talk a little bit about open banking payments in the UK and in the EU and what's next. But I would love to start by just uh, having you tell us a bit more about yourself and your background and what interested you in fintech uh, originally and how has your journey been like at Plaid? Sure. So obviously, um, we go way back, and you know, my early journey in, in fintech. Well, my, my background is is sort of trade body side, and worked for some of the big UK bodies like like CBI and others um, before uh, 2014 or 15. I think we we came to Innovate Finance, which was a a new body being uh, being created on the back of this new wave of uh, fintech, which was which was growing at the time. Um, it wasn't, you know, I remember a term that everyone used to say, I was in fintech before it was fintech. Well, we weren't really. We were in fintech <laughs> just as it was coined fintech, uh, as it became a very, you know, self-identified industry. And, and it, was a, it was a good time because, you know, there was so much focus on it. So much regulatory change was happening at the time. Uh, you know, membership went from a handful to, to well over 300 during them times. And, you know, we, we traveled around the world talking about, the UK's approach to, uh, to to fintech. So that was my my journey. It was uh, it was it was a great period um, and one that really set the UK on a on a, on a great path, I think, uh, and continue to to do so. So also looking forward to IFGS, which, as we record this, is is some point in the <laughs> in, in the future, which which is something that we we kicked off at the time then. Um, but obviously, we I, I moved on from from there and, and spent a bit of time uh, at the DIT, UK Government Trade Department, uh, advising on fintech issues from a from a trade perspective for for a period. Uh, again, uh, similar similar role, talking about our regulatory approaches, advising on fintech bridges and in a couple of key markets. Um, then went into private sector where I was um, the European policy lead for uh, Ripple which is a, a blockchain uh, payments company for uh, a couple of years and set up the function there uh, before joining Plaid in uh, January 2020, uh, which was before we knew what COVID was. <laughs> um, so spent a bit of time in California and then a lot of time working from home uh, once we once we got back uh, for the first period. But no, it's been a, it's been a good journey. We've, we've grown a lot since then. Um, just a quick intro on Plaid for those that don't know it's uh, Plaid are an open banking network and payments platform and we power the sort of wider digital financial ecosystem so lots of other fintech applications uh, you know work on top of Plaid we work with over 6,000 apps today and we connect with over uh, 12,000 different uh, banks and financial institutions uh, across the US and, and Europe so we're obviously see ourselves as the infrastructure for the digital finance and open finance. 
Thanks, Dan. Well, you clearly had quite an exciting journey. Um, thanks for sharing that. I'm keen to hear how you think the open banking regulatory framework has really evolved in Europe. And are there any examples that you can share, for example, on the best use cases? And what countries do you think are driving the way forward? As you say, Europe, I think we'll we'll stick to the EU on, on this one, because I think there's, there's definitely two stories on the EU and the UK, and, and that's growing even more so since since Brexit. Uh, so I think, you know, ultimately PSD2 was a, a groundbreaking piece of legislation which started to, and it has a real potential to increase competition across the EU and provide better consumer outcomes and, uh, and choice. But I, I, I heavily caveat that because it hasn't been perfect uh, and there have been some challenges and has the potential to bring competition, but hasn't been as successful as it, as it could have been uh, in a number of EU markets. And I think that's around a few areas. The first would be sort of the API quality, the sort of uh, the interface uh, has been a, a challenge for the TPPs connecting with banks. And sometimes that's not been as good as it was pre-PSD2 for some of the original players um, with a number of, of different obstacles, uh, you know, to the consumer, consumer journey. Um, implementation has been a bit, a bit tricky at times and, and slow in different markets as well as enforcement. So, Different regulators, um, you know, uh, didn't enforce necessarily some of the the API uh, connections that we should have done uh, at the start. So I think that's where some of the UK perhaps has has taken the lead. There's also issues with single markets. So as we're trying to grow across the EU, different markets take taking different approaches with the with the directive. Um, and I suppose, but the the big fundamental one is the difference between the the level one text, which was. Um, which was good, which you know, opened up the idea of, of that access to account uh, to bring competition in payments, but also underneath that, the, the regulatory technical standards, things like SCA, you know, uh, 90-day reauthentication, caused real challenges. So I think, you know, overall good in the right direction, but there are some challenges. I think one of the big fundamental issues with it has been uh, this adversarial approach between banks and TPPs, where banks have to provide something for, for free, um, a service that is has to be maintained without necessarily having uh, skin in the game, if you will, uh, to to maintain that main sort of leading to this cat and mouse of you know we're you know we've got a problem, can we go to the regulator, and, and necessarily not not seeing it more as a, a compliance function rather than a, a something that can can grow an ecosystem. I think that's one of the issues that that we that we've had. Um, I think you said uh, in part of that question, what what do we what we're excited about? What comes next? So on that, I, I think um, in the EU, there's a few areas that we're we're quite excited about. The first is uh, a new scheme that we're we're working with, an industry level scheme called SPAR MSG, which essentially is uh, the SEPA API scheme, which is going to sit above PSD two. Um, so some of the challenges we've talked about between you know the the banks and TBPs and not having enough skin in the game, Nick is looking to address this from an industry level and building on the investments already you know uh, done in, within PSD two um, and looking to provide some shared value between banks and TBPs. Um, what it's going to do is what once created that's what they're terming asset holders. Banks are going to expose you know additional premium services on top of PSD two for the asset brokers, which would be the the fintechs for a for a fee, um, which is something that we haven't seen before. It's a it's a scheme that we might see in other payment type schemes. So to ensure that that premium service is maintained and and better services are provided, 
And they might be things like multiple payment counterparties, IBAN validation, um, and things that maybe look a bit like VRP, reoccurring payments. But these will all be for a, a fee above the PSD2 baseline. Um, so this is something we're really excited about. We're, work, we're in the working group at uh, the EU level with the European Payment Council, the Commission and other TPPs. Um, uh, and we expect a consultation more broadly to be launched in in May with this uh, going to DGCOM probably late, late 2022. And, and if we get some, some traction with the banks, we get to agree what the, the shared value is, we get to agree what them services are. I think this industry-led approach could actually be a big game changer for addressing some of them challenges in different EU markets. Mm. Um, and so not necessarily a regulatory driven change, but a, a market driven change could could be the big one here uh, in, in in Europe that we're looking forward to. That's fantastic. And it's a great overview, Dan. Uh, so it's exciting times ahead, hopefully. Um, curious, now you've given a really good overview in terms of Europe and the UK. Are there other markets internationally that we should be looking at, particularly in, say, the next two years? Um, well, I think uh, obviously we're a US company. Uh, and so uh, although I cover the UK and, and Europe, um, the US is, a, is an interesting interesting market. Um, I mean, I talk to many people that aren't, don't follow the, the scene so much and they, they say that there's no open banking in the US. It's a European thing. It's a regulatory thing. But I don't think that's the, the case. Um, if you look at like uh, the financial data exchange, FDX, I think they, they see around over 25 million accounts are linked via APIs uh, at the moment. Um, and the, the market is, is much bigger than that, really, when we look at some of the use cases which are pretty omnipresent over there, such as sort of uh, low-key KYC, where you know open banking type functionality is, is used much more than in Europe to onboard to, to fintech apps. I think we've seen a lot more credit builder type products uh, in, in the US, which um, although is growing here with companies like Credit Kudos, it's much more of a uh, an asset class in, in the US, and that's driven by the the sort of market-led open banking uh, scene that we that we see over there. So I think the US is is somewhere where we're actually going to see real life open finance first because there's more freedom to to do that, um, and that's been driven more on a, on, a, on a market approach. But um, the funny thing is, the US and Europe are converging, uh, and there's the, the proposal from uh, Biden administration on on uh, you know ten thirty three rulemaking, which is going to facilitate the portability of consumer financial uh, data, and we're looking to potentially introduce similar rules that we might see uh, in, in Europe or the UK. And what this will do, and, and something that we've been supportive of in the US, is enshrine that right of the consumer to get it. Sometime, even though there, there is stuff in CFPB uh, at the moment, but sometimes there's a debate as to who owns the data, who have access to it. The bank can maybe say no and create a market approach to access that, whether it's a data access agreement. So that's going to change. I think um, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a healthy market already there, but once regulation comes in and that that right is enshrined, I think we'll we'll see more and we'll see more convergence. So um, it's somewhere that we're obviously very big in, but I think the US is something to to keep an eye on for uh, um, open banking regulation. Great. And you mentioned, of course, that Plaid is a U.S. company. What is Plaid's role in all of this on a global basis? Plaid is a, an open banking network provider. and We, we provide the sort of, uh, the tools for others to provide uh, digital finance. 
Um, as I say, we power over 6,000 apps uh, from Coinbase to Curve to, to Square. Um, and we allow banks to connect uh, to, to many other financial uh, accounts. Our value proposition, really, when we look at our competitors, is our, our global approach. We're the only truly global uh, transatlantic open banking uh, player. And we're looking to ensure that we can bring together you know, account-to-account payments, open banking data in both the EU, UK and, and, and the US. So I think our role is, is more to facilitate uh, others to innovate on top of Plaid. Um, and that's where we see the real value that, that Plaid can bring to the ecosystem. And if you're looking to scale from the EU to the US or the other way around, we can help you do that. Uh, so that's the real value that we think that the Plaid could bring. Um, but it's really about what the, the the rest of the ecosystem is is doing at the moment. It's, it's the real real cool player. And coming back to the UK, Dan, what has really worked well here, and what further advancements can we expect to see next? If you could share some use cases, that would also be great. Yeah, so um, the UK is still the most dynamic open banking market uh, for now. I think that that's clear. Uh, and what they did well, I think, was they they set a standard. Uh, early on, which provided certainty to the market to work to, and they had an, an implementation body to to bring that about. I think that was a an approach which created uh, a more dynamic market. There was strong enforcement by the FCA. Many would, you know, uh, say that wasn't the case. There were challenges, but compared to other European markets, the FCA did have teeth. There was mechanisms for raising issues with interfaces, uh, and you know, they had a, a good and in the market, I think that was key. Um, and there's also a dynamic roadmap, which, which has continued to improve functionality, introducing um, you know, uh, things like uh, VRPs next on the roadmap and all of this. So I think you know, there has been a, uh, there's been a sort of direction of travel, which hasn't necessarily been the key in some European markets. And obviously we've seen that in the numbers. Um, I think OBIE released their regular sort of monthly numbers and now we're looking at 4.5 million regular users of open banking, which is, is pretty you know, profound. And then we have 60% increase in new customers. Um, so these type of numbers are, are good in terms of the total uh, TPPs. So it's about creating competition. I think there's um, 245, which is about half of the European total. So in the whole of the EEA now, I think there's about 55, 59% TPPs are based there. The rest are in the UK. So one market um, still has a, a, you know, an outsized weight on, on what's going on. So I, I think their approach has been, has been key. And there's more things coming. Obviously, uh, we're starting to see greater you know, smart divergence, as, we, as we've called it, uh, in, in a way which um, you know, there were already differences, but this is starting to, to take hold. So changes to, to 90-day reauthentication is, is coming in in, in 2022 where there's going to be an exemption uh, the banks can introduce, which means after an initial SCA, uh, every 90 days, there will be a re-consent. So essentially, the TPP now can, can manage that process on an ongoing basis, whereas before, the bank could break that connection with that competitor. It's almost like a, a bank marking their own homework in terms of competition and really was a fundamental flaw in some of the RTS and the, the FCAs look to address that. And they'll be introducing it this year. I think that's a real key divergence from, from Europe. And we'll see a lot of benefits and, and maybe others will, will, will follow. The EU, on the other hand, is looking to keep the same system, but maybe introduce 
a longer time period, which we don't think is necessarily the right approach. Mm. Also, they're going to introduce um, variable recurring payments in the UK, which I think is a is a real big move for the uh, the, the market. At first, it's going to be sweeping, uh, which um, obviously is a uh, is quite narrow. It's sort of me to me type of approaches. But if, if this the functionality that's going to be introduced will also bring in things for alternatives to card on file, support the online payment experience, um, and, and bring about you know a, a much greater uh, competitive market for cards, uh, which we haven't seen before with uh, you know single initiated payments through PIS. I think this is going to be a big game changer in the UK and how what, what we get in that premium API world between TPPs and banks and, and how that develops, I think is going to be a really interesting space to, to watch for the UK and, and one that we're really excited about. I completely agree with you, Dan. Um, now, we usually tend to shine a light on the, the innovative players within the open banking space. But of course, it is also paving the way for new products and solutions with traditional players as well. Can you tell us a bit about how you see financial institutions being able to monetize open banking? Yeah, so I, I touched on it a little bit before. I think there's two areas I'd say uh, are probably going to be interesting for banks. In the EU, I think the, um, the, the scheme that they're working on is, is where a lot of banks see value, uh, be able to provide a revenue model to open up premium services uh, in, in, a, in a way that's been agreed beforehand is something that's going to create more incentive for banks to provide better things like IBAN validation or um, better automated transfers, uh, payment to multiple counterparties, which they didn't need to do before, which was above the PSD2 uh, baseline. And if this is agreed, I, I see more banks taking an active interest in developing their ecosystem uh, across Europe uh, and facilitating that scheme. Um, so that's something that I think will support better uh, monetization of PFD2 uh, across across the EU. More broadly, uh, I think areas like um, uh, digital ID uh, are is something that you know financial services providers you know they've long had a established trusted positions in you know realms of identity. We see quite a few things across Europe already from Bank ID in Sweden and. NEMID in Denmark um, involved uh, in this space. But I think exposing these type of attributes over open APIs um, is something that banks could play a leading uh, role in uh, and could help monetize, support better functionality for TPPs, but potentially at a, at a cost. Uh, so I think you know how banks look at identity uh, is going to be a... Uh, a key area for them uh, as they as they grow in this in this market. So I think there are a couple of areas: the scheme in Europe, and then ID more broadly globally. Yeah. And Dan, back to Plaid itself as an organization. What are you doing differently compared to other similar open banking player, players in the market out there? Are there any specific use cases you can share? So as I, as I said, Plaid is is a facilitator of other innovations within uh, within the market. I, our core areas that we, we think that we differentiate from our competitors are, is our global approach. We're the only truly transatlantic open banking player. We connect with over 25% of all bank accounts in, in the United States. So anyone looking to scale could leverage our, our network and expertise to facilitate that account-to-account -account payment experience or open banking. 
open data. So we think we are the, the, the global choice for, for open banking. But in terms of people using our services, we've seen a number of trends recently. We saw a six-fold increase in the number of uh, uh, inquiries and customers that want to initiate payment initiation and account-to-account wow. payments. Uh, and that's moving into a range of different uh, fields. So e-gaming or crypto uh, spaces where maybe you would top up your account with a card or you would do it manually. They're seeing that um, uh, A2A or payment initiation rail as a, as a great alternative, which is cheaper and faster and built for e-commerce, um, where your phone is, is your core you know, utility here to, to send that payment. The card isn't necessarily uh, the best way to do it. We've seen um, you know, some of the regulatory approaches in Europe and the EU that show that, that competitive sort of stranglehold that um, some of the card fees have. I think this, as e-commerce continues to grow, some of the things turbocharged by the pandemic, we'll see some of these um, some of these uh, areas in, in e-commerce and gaming continue to pick up and, and utilize that open banking payment space. So that's a key trend uh, that we that we've seen grow a lot in 2020, 2021. Of course, uh, lots of other use cases on on the data side. Uh, that we've heard a lot more about, like personal financial management, credit scores, particularly those for, for thin, thin credit files. Um, all them things continue to grow, as well as the identity piece and transaction monitoring. But the, the key area that we're focused on at the moment is how we bring about open banking payments more broadly. Yeah. And Dan, we've got a few minutes left. So I, I do want to touch on the pandemic and COVID-19. And how has uh, that crisis impacted you over the past two years? Are there certain trends that you are seeing? Yeah, so I think it's related to what I've said. It's a, a massive shift in uh, or acceleration in consumer behavior, um, whether it's, you know, QR codes, contactless, tap and pay, you know, the growth of e-commerce uh, and the broad behavioral shifts uh, have all lent into the growth of, of fintech and, and digital payments. Uh, more broadly, um, we, we, did, we did a number of surveys throughout 2020, 2021 um, uh, on the sort of fintech market in the US and Europe, um, which, which really sort of pointed to some of these figures. And I think someone wants to point out that the number of digital wallet users across the globe reached 2.6 billion in 2020. And by 2025, this number is expected to exceed 4.4 billion. So this is something that is a, is a trend we're seeing globally and, and one that we expect to continue to to grow, um, uh, the use of mobile wallets exceeded cash for the first time for in-store payments, uh, which again is a, is a huge trend. Um, the decline of cash globally, um, depending on which market you look at, uh, is, it's been profound, uh, particularly in the UK, which had a really strong e-commerce market anyway. Um, so I think um, all these trends have just been accelerated and opened up. Um, you know, uh, the opportunity for, for fintech and digital finance to play and account to account payments or payment initiation is a real potential upside on this um, because net cards aren't necessarily uh, always the, the first choice that, that e-commerce players are going to be looking to now in the future. Great, Dan. Now, last question for you. Is there any exciting news on the horizon for Plaid that we should be looking out for? 
Um, more of the same, I think. Uh, we continue to, to grow uh, in Europe um, and, and serve our customers across the EU and the UK. Um, obviously, we recently made the acquisition of, of Cognito. Um, so we're increasingly interested in how digital ID can play a role in, in, in open banking. But I think there's, there's three big big trends that we're focused on in, uh, in, in 2021. The one is obviously open banking payments, where we see huge upside and, and then we see VRP in the UK uh, starting to take hold and, and more competition in, in the e-commerce market. I think we'll see more and more uh, players look to embed finance in, in mainstream uh, applications. So this is similar to your Uber experience when you get out of your cab and you've paid already. Other applications now are bringing financial services into where you are. There's something we work with Microsoft Excel in the US, where it's called Money in Excel, where we have live feeds of your bank into a spreadsheet. Uh, so it can all be updated on your bank account, your 401k, your investment account. Uh, it's all live feed into your uh, Excel spreadsheet without having to update manually. So that's bringing, bringing sort of financial feeds into, into where you are and payment experiences. Um, and I think the final one is, is what we've talked about already is uh, the continued growth of, of e-commerce and, and how fintech and digital finance can support that. I think we're, we're focused on them in three areas and uh, it should be a good year. Fantastic. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for sharing your expert insight. Uh, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. And listeners, thank you all uh, for listening in as well. Please stay tuned for our next session. Uh, in the meantime, visit us on LinkedIn or Twitter on our website at www.innovatefinance.com. Until next time, stay safe and stay well. Thanks so much.